you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Welcome to NFL Total Access, the locker room. I'm Michael Robinson. And I'm Mike Garofalo. You know what we do here. We let you guys in on what players, coaches, and front office bigwigs really talk about inside the locker room. And that's why we have our friend, colleague, and NFL player, personnel guru, Scott Pioli, on the show today. Scott spent nine seasons with the Patriots before serving as the Chiefs GM from 2009 to 2012. But it's that Patriots portion of his career, Mike Rob, that we are focusing on today because you may have heard about the big matchup coming up in Foxborough between Tom Brady <laughs> and his Buccaneers and Bill Belichick and his Patriots. So Scott, knowing both of these guys, we brought him in to talk a little bit about the emotions and what he thinks both guys are thinking about as they head into this matchup. Yeah, geez, he's the perfect guy to talk to. And, and please, listeners, st- like stick in there with us toward the end of the podcast. He has a great story about Tom Brady. You don't want to miss it. And I want to welcome in one of one of our many friends, Jeezy, okay, uh, uh, one of our guys here at NFL Network. And people have to understand, he was with the Patriots organization from 2000 to 2008. He was the head of personnel when Tom Brady came into the building. Let's welcome in Scott Pioli. Scott, what's going on, boss? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Great to be here. Absolutely. That's a lot man. of years ago, that Patriot thing. Now. <laughs> a lot of hair ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeezy knows how, how that goes. You know, they just kind of, my bad. I'm sorry, Jeezy. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to get at you about no hair. But, Scott, as you know, you're a friend of the show, man. You know, we always start every episode with a locker room story. And it's your, it's your opportunity to bless us with a new locker room story. All right. I'm, I'm going to go with one um, from the first year of my time as a scout. I had coached for four years. You know, my first year scouting with the Cleveland Browns, Belichick was the head coach. And um, there was a guy by the name of Dom Anili. God rest his soul. Dom's no longer with us. But Dom was our director of college scouting, one of the true characters uh, in the NFL. And Dom, um, you know, he liked me because I had a lot of vowels in his name, in my name, just like his. He was straight up Brooklyn, Italian, old school more politically incorrect than you could ever imagine. So we're in one of these meetings. And one of my jobs that year was the the group of us, we were affectionately known as the Slappies. We were entry-level scouts. We had to keep taste. Yeah, Slappies. We we all know where that that is. But they called us that out loud. Hey, Slappy, come here. I mean, it was not for the uh, the thin skin. So one of the jobs we had was we had to make profile tapes. Some people would call them highlight tapes. Profile tapes of players, good plays, bad plays, this way, you know, when one of the coaches or scouts wanted to watch a player, they didn't have to watch a lot of plays that the player wasn't involved with. Well, I had all the offensive linemen and defensive linemen. And we were in a draft meeting. It was a little bit later on in the cycle. And Dom has this one player. Um, I won't mention his name, but he was a player 
offensive lineman who also had a lot of vowels in his name, which was always a bonus for Dom. He liked players based on that scale of having vowels, not having <laughs> vowels. But this guy was all day tough, but really, really limited as an athlete. And Dom is trying to get traction from anybody in the room, and no one is biting. Dom loves this kid. Yeah, he's tough, but he's not athletic enough. And 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 Dom's getting really frustrated. And I'm a slappy. So my job in those meetings is to keep notes and then move the cards on the board when they, you know, after the discussion. Well, Dom turns around and all of a sudden I see him look at me and he's kind of squinting. By the way, this is a guy, he's still smoking in meetings. This is 1993. A non-smoking building that he's smoking in. And and, and yet you have to understand understand who he was, like a, a great character, an incredible mentor. Yeah. And he looks at me and says, okay, Scott. And he's got this un- distinct Brooklyn Italian accent, and he couldn't finish a sentence without finishing it with an okay. He goes, okay, <laughs> Scott, why don't you give me what your thoughts are on this guy? I won't say his name. Yeah, He said, you did all the tapes. I know you like this kid. Tell me what you think about him. And when I tell you I felt I'm 27 years old, been coaching for four years, I'm the oldest of the slappies, and I feel this thing inside me like, oh, my gosh, I got to go against my mentor here because I don't like the guy either. I love his toughness. Yeah. I go, well, Dom, I did do him. And, you know, he's a little unathletic. Yeah, he's tough, but he's got short arms. You know, for a big guy, he kind of doesn't have enough sand in his butt. And and before I could even finish what I was saying, he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why don't you shut the F up, you effing turn? <laughs> Since when do you have an opinion? Why don't you shut the F up and go get me a new pack of smokes? And seriously, he threw me out of the meeting. Threw me out of the meeting. What? Ask your opinion. Yeah, but he thought, and afterwards I said, Dom, why did you do that? And he looked at me and goes, how could you go against me? (laughs) Oh, my goodness, man. It was a a great lesson. I don't know what the lesson was, but I think it was a great lesson. (laughs) Do what your mentor says, huh? That was a good lesson. Yeah. Don't bite bite the hand that feeds you. Clearly. Is how my father used to describe it. Um, All right. Well, a big reason why we've got you on this week, there is a reunion uh, in Foxborough. On Sunday, have you heard about it? It's uh, involving. I think I did hear a little one, something about that. One quarterback uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going back to a place where he played for twenty years. Um, you were there when the Tom Brady era began in New England. So, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? What are your emotions heading into this game? You know, this is this is interesting because I have such a close personal relationship with both. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about Bill and Brady. Yeah. Um, I have a close personal relationship for a lot of years with both of them. And a lot of people are getting into their, you know, their into the personal stuff, which I'm never big on. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I'm excited about this game from an X's and O's standpoint, from a competition standpoint, because, you know, you're looking at who I believe is the greatest coach of all time. And who I also believe is the greatest quarterback of all time. You've got these two people who know what their strengths and limitations are. They know one another's kryptonite might be too strong of a word, but they know um, how the other think, you know, they work together for 20 years very closely, spend a lot of meeting time. They know patterns of thought. And to me, I see this incredible, I don't care about the noise, right? The noise to me is just 
Um, I don't like that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm excited to watch the matchup because both the player and the coach are the kind of guys that they've been trained. They know how to make adjustments on the fly, right? A lot of people talk about, oh, they made halftime adjustments. What a great job. People talk about the Patriots' halftime adjustments and Brady's halftime adjustments. The truth is those guys, the Patriots and Bill and Brady, start adjustments well before halftime. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to see once who's going to figure out where the other is headed first to see what the adjustments are going to be and what kind of game it's going to be. I, I'm just really excited about the game, none of the other nonsense. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this one too. I actually think Tom is going to break the all-time passer record in this game. Yeah, um, I think it's going to happen. I mean, do you think they stopped the game for Tom Brady to kind of recognize wow. it in That's, New England? Yeah, I'll say this, Mike Rob. You know. Of all the places in the league that he should be if he's with another team, that's where he should be if he breaks it. And God willing, you know, I hope he does, right? Um, again, I, 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 I love both guys, and I, and I don't use the word love lightly. I really do. And if he's going to break it, Foxborough is the place for him to do it. Do I think that they'll stop the game? <laughs> There's part of me that thinks that maybe they will. Yeah. Because there's – again – the. Again, we're not going to get into that, and, and I'm glad we're not. We understand the noise. But the reality is those folks all, the Crafts, Bill, Tommy, deep down inside, they all love one another, and they all respect one another immensely. Competition is a funny thing, right? It, yeah. Competition makes us all say, do, and behave ways that we're not always the proudest of. of. I, I think for me, having covered these guys a little bit for for, for some years – you know, we know how Brady's going to feel as far as the competition goes. You know he badly wants to win this game. And he he's competitive on a, and an average Sunday. Throw everything in with this one, yeah. you know how he's going to feel. How do you think Belichick approaches this one as far as the competition? How much does it mean to him that he has to win this game? I, I, I sense he probably is more thinking about the game itself, where it fits in their 2021 season more so – than the Brady stuff. And GC, that, that, that's where I, I think you're right. I don't think either one feels like they have to win. They both want to win, right? It's just like you look at the relationships. You know, when Eli played, Pey- played Peyton, you know they both wanted to win, mm-hmm. right? When you see some of the father-son coaching relationships, when you see some of the sibling playing relationships, you know, when the Long brothers played against one, you know what one side wanted to do to the other. And it was nothing more than great competitors and great competition. But I also think that they're big picture. Do they want to win? Heck yeah. They're also big picture thinker thinkers from the standpoint that they know things are not the, the world isn't going to end if we if they don't win that game. They have here's one of the things I think is rare about both of them in their individual um, spaces is the fact they have both have an ability to compartmentalize their emotions for the greater good and for their performance needs as well as any two people I've ever met. They have an ability to steal their emotions. And when I say steal, I mean S-T-E-E-L. They are laser focused. And are there feelings? I'm sure there are. You can't, you know, I'm going to speak like my, well, like we do in my hometown of Washingtonville, New York. I say, you can't not, 
feeling something. And 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 contrary to some people's belief, knowing both of them, they are both deep feeling human beings. Yeah, Scott. Now, you may not have an answer to this question, but I got to ask it, man, because Uh-oh. I think everybody is thinking about this or have had this question. Who made who? Like, oh, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm going to stop you right there because honestly, he, because here's my answer. I I don't. Uh, and, I, and please hear me clear. Yeah, I find that question or that the idea of that whole thing just so disrespectful. I it really that. is because no matter it, it, it's, it, it, I, I'm not saying you you asked the district. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's just, no. The whole idea of trying to unravel that just isn't right, and it's not fair because no matter if you start to head down a path, you're not being respectful enough of the principles involved. And, and, and I get worried sometimes. One of the things that I think we've lost in some of all of this um, is civility and respect for greatness. They're both great to say who is more, what is more. I just don't, uh, I don't dig that question, not only for them, but for, you know, for, for some other players in other sports as well. To me, I want you to assess this because this is my take on the whole thing, Scott. Without one or the other, there are fewer than six rings, right? Tom Brady by himself without Belichick, Belichick without Brady. There's fewer than six rings because they both needed each other. But but here's where I find it interesting. This past year, Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl, people trying to say, well, that was proof it was more Brady than Belichick are missing the point completely, okay? For multiple reasons, not the least of which is the Bucs were an extremely talented team right there, okay? But the other thing is, Tom Brady became who he is as a football player because of the time he spent in New England with Bill Belichick and the coaching staff and the organization there. Am they, I wrong in that assessment? They all served one another. And you know what? Uh, here's where I want to back up. You know, are, are any of them or either of them or any of us what we, you know, he, one of my um, – one of the things I feel strongly about that disappoints me the most is the simple fact that there were so many truly not good, but either very good and great players during my nine years there that don't give enough respect. We're sitting here arguing whether Richard Seymour should be in the Hall of Fame or whether Rodney Harrison should be in the Hall of Fame. Those cats are Hall of Famers. Yep. I think this narrative that it was just – Two people, and that's not taking – I will – again, I've said it point blank. Bill, in my opinion, is the greatest head coach of all time. Tom is the greatest quarterback of all time. But we won a bunch of games in 2001 to win that Super Bowl that had an awful lot to do with our defense, that had an awful lot to do with Troy Brown, that had an awful lot to do with Mike Compton being able to move from starting left guard to center to shotgun snap every time we went to shotgun because Damian Woody couldn't shotgun snap. There were so many things. That defense, what Brian Cox, Anthony Pleasant, Roman Pfeiffer, Teddy Bruschi, Ted John, you know, Lawyer Malloy, all these. So when when I think when we start to reduce it down to just two people and the principles, it, it, it just makes me uncomfortable because again, I think that there's people like I mentioned, Rodney Harrison, who's up again. Why isn't Rodney Harrison in the Hall of Fame? It's crazy, man. I, I, I mean, <laughs> and again, I don't say this. John Lynch belongs in the Hall of Fame. But when you look at John Lynch's numbers and Rodney Harrison's numbers, I mean, they're pretty similar. 
But a lot of people didn't like Rodney Harrison because when they had to play for him, play against him, he knocked them out. <laughs> oh, yeah, you ain't lying about that. All right, Scott. Now, your first year was in 2000 um, with the Patriots. Uh, that same year, Brady got drafted in the sixth round, right? Um, what did, did anybody know of his potential? Like, were there any people in that room, in that draft room saying, hold up, man, what are we doing with this six-round pick? No, no he, here's what I'll say, Mike Rob. Again, I was there and I – it's it's interesting. You know, we had him rated higher than where we chose him. Really? Uh, absolutely. But again, wow. people don't look at things. It's funny. I love watching people that weren't there give their version of revisionist history and they weren't in the building. <laughs> right. We, we've all lived that. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, you know, my uncle Alfonso. Yeah, he, he did a bunch of that back in the day, too. But the point is. When we got to the Patriots in 2000. We had only 41 players under contract and were $10.5 million over the cap. What we did have, and then we had, in order to get down the cap, we had to restructure contracts and cut some players. We ended up having 39 players when we got under the cap. We ended up signing, I think it was 28 or 29 rookie free agents after that draft just to fill a camp roster. But as we were going through the, the draft, the one thing that we, we couldn't field offense, defense, and special teams because we didn't have 22 plus special teams players that were legitimate starters. But what we did have was three quarterbacks. We had Drew Bledsoe, John Freeze, and Michael Bishop. And so we started talking about Brady. I want to say it was like the third, fourth round, but we said, all right, yeah, like him, but he, he ain't all that. Let, we move on. So we keep kicking the can down the road. Yeah. But at one point in time, I want to say it was like in the fifth round, we're looking at Brady because we you know, you stack your board horizontally and then vertically, one through 50, 51 through 100. And we're looking at the board, and Brady's all the way over by, you know, by himself on the left. And and I think it was Bucko Kilroy, who one of the great – you talk about great football mentors. Bucko Kilroy goes, ha, 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 someone better check and see if that guy's dead or not. Because <laughs> no one had picked him. And uh, – <laughs> we um, we ended up picking him, but but the reality is this: I think a lot there, there were enough of us that felt that he was a good player that had some developmental makeup and traits. And what we did know is, whenever he played at Michigan, all he did was win games. And we we drafted him, but anyone who says um, <clears throat> that they knew what he was going to be when we picked him. Unfortunately, I they wouldn't be telling the truth. That, I, that's the crazy part to me. <laughs> How did he last till the sixth round? How did he not play more at Michigan? That's the crazy <laughs> part to me. Yeah. He couldn't beat out Drew Henson. <laughs> that, I mean, that's the one that I just always go back to. I, I pulled, I, the, and then he's the Orange Bowl MVP. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I I just pulled a book off my shelf behind me, uh, the GM by Tom Callahan. It's a story following Ernie Accorsi uh, in his final season as general manager. It's a fantastic book. And I do remember this one point uh, where they're talking about the draft. And I think Callahan got to sit in on the draft. He says, uh, this is this is Accorsi talking. And he says, there have been too many incidents in my career where the only guy in the room who likes or dislikes a player is right. So you better hear them all. Take Tom Brady, for instance, a six-round pick for Michigan. The second man selected by the Patriots in that round, the 199th player chosen overall after Brady started winning Super Bowls with New England I went back and looked at all of our Brady reports everybody killed him except one guy Whitey Walsh who was the longtime <laughs> scout 
for the Giants. He was their Northeast uh, – I believe he was the Northeast guy toward the end of his career. Uh, he said, if you read Whitey's report on Brady, it's a prediction of exactly how it turned out. He was the only guy who saw it. Sometimes you have to listen to the one guy. I mean, listen, wow. you're a general manager or, or uh, an executive – how hard is that to say? Like, if, there's one, if there's one guy pushing for a guy, he might be right. You have no yeah. idea. But here's the thing. If you just listen to the one guy, you'll want to draft every player. Yeah. There's always <laughs> one guy. You're like, every player. I guess it depends who that white, who that uh, one guy is and, and, and when uh, in the draft and yeah. who the player is and, and all that stuff. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring – your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Um, so, you, you, you know, you draft him. Are, are you seeing stuff in practice right away? I mean, at what point do you say, gosh, those developmental traits that we were talking about, they're really starting to blossom? Yeah, and and, and here's the thing. And I know some people, you know, again, I was there. I remember the time, the context. Here's what I do know was that most teams carry what? Two quarterbacks, right? Maybe a third on the practice squad. We carried four quarterbacks the entire season. Brady was the number four quarterback. And we carried him the entire season on our 53-man roster. Oh, and by the way, there were different points in the season where we didn't even have a 53-man roster. We had we, we had went through the season because of salary cap issues. Mm-hmm. And we also, there was this point in time where we thought about this whole idea. There were, there were guys that just weren't all in. And we said, if you're not all in, you're not going to be a part of the program. You are not the right person to be with us. You're gone. And we sat there at different times of the season with 51 players and 52 players on our roster. Now, it also helped them from a salary cap standpoint, because when we took that team over, it was a disaster from the salary cap standpoint. Mm -hmm. And we kept four quarterbacks the whole time. I can't remember the last time that a team kept four active quarterbacks when no one was injured on their roster. So for those people that say, I didn't know, they lucked into it, once he got on campus, we knew a little something. How did you even manage to do this? I mean, when you said it, I'm thinking to myself, okay, if I got four quarterbacks, uh, there's a position group that's lacking, whether it's running backs, tight ends, linebackers. How, how were you? And I, I know you, you might not want to get into all the, you know, the, the business part of it, but how, how do you do that, man? Like, literally. You do what's best for the team, Mike Rob. I mean, that's the thing. is, so one Having the, four quarterbacks was the best thing for the team at the time? It was the best thing for the team because we were looking at the now and the future, mm-hmm. right? We knew that Michael Bishop and John Freeze were not for long. <clears throat> Drew was the guy. We didn't know how long Drew was going to be. We also knew that Drew's contract, the new contract, was a bit of an albatross. So in order for us – but we liked what this kid had – and one of the things, you know, you, you go into the building every single day. If you're a coach or if you're a GM or a, I was I wasn't a GM, but I was vice president of player personnel. You go in every day and you expect of people that they are going to do everything they can that day. That is for the best of the team and the greater good. And if you expect that out of everyone, you've got to do the same. 
keeping Brady and keeping four quarterbacks made the most sense. Not keeping guys who weren't buying in and weren't willing to be a part of the program and do the things that we were asking and at times most often demanding. I mean, that was that was our way. And and, you know, one of the things I remember Bill and I talking about when we got there early was we were going to right or wrong. We were going to do it the way that we believed. And if we flamed out in a blaze of glory because it wasn't good enough, at least we did it the way that we believed in. Because as I think, you know, we're all adults here. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing in life is that when you compromise your beliefs and values and have success, it doesn't always feel good. But if you compromise your values and your principles and things you believe in it and you fail, that feels really crappy. And we didn't want to have guys around that didn't want to be around, quite honestly. What did you see? You said as soon as he got on campus, you knew what you had right away. What were you seeing? Here, here's the thing. Um, and I love to make this distinction. Um, he had re- he had a rare work ethic, which a lot of players in the NFL do. But he also had some talent and he improved. He didn't. He didn't repeat a lot of mistakes. But the other thing was he had and learned very quickly impeccable work habits. Again, work habits and work ethic are two different things. There's a lot of people in life, no matter what their profession, they have a really strong work ethic and they're going to grind and go and go and go and go. But their work habits maybe don't allow them to manifest um, their talents in such a way that it's going to be, that, that they're going to be good. Brady you know, there were a number of people around Brady that were willing to give time. And here's the thing was, he was willing to do anything and everything, whether it was physical, mental, um, taking care of himself, taking care of his body. And even at, at a younger age, you know, it got even exponentially better as he got older. But every bit of advice that Bill had, that Ernie Adams had, Ernie Adams is one of those little known people who, who was an important part of his development. And, of course, Charlie Weiss and the late Dick Rabine. You know, Dick spent an entire season with him and then and, and was a big part. He Dick was the quarterback's coach who actually worked him out at Michigan and before we drafted him. And Dick was with us in the 2000 season. And then he I, passed away early in the season, right? Right in the middle of training camp. It was a wow. Sunday. It was a day off in the 2001 training camp. And he was running on the treadmill, had a heart attack, wow. passed away. That was like. I want to say it was a, a week before the or ten days before the season opener, oh, man. and um, and yeah. Charlie Charlie Weiss then served as coordinator and quarterbacks coach. If Correct. I remember correct, and I'll, and that's why I'll say this also: Ernie Adams did an awful lot. He prepared mm. tapes. He did things, and you know, Ernie is is one of those people. You know, don't know what Ernie does. You know, see what Ernie. Does. <laughs> I know what Ernie does, and and, and he was an important part of you know, uh, the development. So, um, but the point is a lot of people have resources. Not everyone uses them. Yeah. Some guys get caught up in that whole thing where they're, they, they're either too proud or they're too embarrassed that they don't want to take, you know, all that extra time. I'll give you a a, a quick Brady Mm -hmm. story. So it's now the year after he's drafted, we're going into the spring of 2001 and it's early April. And we're still in the old Foxborough Stadium, Gillette's being built, and we had the old practice bubble. I don't know if either of you guys remember that, but it was one of those big inflatable bubbles, and yeah. you could open certain doors, it would deflate. <laughs> well, 
I'm getting ready to leave on a Friday night. And it's, I don't know, I want to say it's 930, a little, you know, and I'm just tightening some stuff up. And as I get ready to leave, I see the lights on across the way, the lights out in the bubble. And I drive around the construction and I go over there and parked outside of the bubble. I see Brady's little yellow Jeep and he had this yellow Jeep. And and I believe the story goes is that he had, you know, rookie contract, no money, no car deal. Everyone had something. So Bledsoe got him a car deal, but all he would allow him to have was a yellow Jeep. Now, no story, way, man. But it, it was bad. It was, it was embarrassing. So the yellow Jeep's there, and it's a Friday night. And think about it. It's April, Friday night. And again, you know, Brady didn't all of a sudden just get good looking now, right? He's been good looking a long time. And he's in there at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. He's got his boom box going. Some of these young listeners don't know what a boom box is, but it's a thing that you could put cassette yeah. and listen to music while you're working. And he had these elastic bands around his ankle, and he was doing footwork, footwork drills and throwing balls into the net with the buckets. And I walked in, and, you know, he couldn't hear because the music was playing. And I was like, God, that's weird. And I go, hey, kid. And he comes running over. He takes off the strap and comes jogging over. He goes, hey, babe, how you doing? We, you know, bro hug up. And he says, uh, I said, what are you doing? He goes, I just get a little work in. I'm going to go, I'm going out. You know, I'm going out, but I'm, I just want to get a little work in. I said, well, just make sure, you know, that you hit the lights on your way out. Now, mind you, he had a key to that facility, which was the same key to a door that he somehow acquired <laughs> um, that allowed him, because he always – he didn't want people to know when he was coming and going, right? Because yeah. I think he was a little, he was, he was proud. He didn't want people to know how hard he was working. And as I said, okay, you know, make sure you lock up. And as I turned to walk away, he goes, he goes, hey, babe. He, that's one of his phrases he called. He goes, I go, yeah, what's up? He goes, do me a favor. Don't tell anyone you saw me here. Wow. And. Now, I'm telling that story now because he has since given me permission to tell that story. So I'm not telling it out of school. But (laughs) that was part of his deal. And he knew he had to work. He knew he had to do things extra. But that's who he was in his second year in the NFL. He was not going to be a number four quarterback again. Wow, Scott. I mean, that story blew me away, man. Like that, I mean – just showing the work ethic, showing the fact, the fact that he didn't want people to know that was important. To me. Right. Right. And, and the thing was, he was doing it in a place in a space where he wasn't kissing up to the coaches either. Right. He yeah. wasn't. It's a, he was over there on his own in his little yellow Jeep where no one could find him. Getting. And uh, so it's uh, yeah, because and again, there it goes. It's, it's a work ethic. But then he was also he had work habits. He was working on the right stuff that he knew he had to do in order to make himself truly better i just have one follow-up question are you still babe or would giselle (laughs) if he heard you be called in front of giselle (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) look man i i got one more thing to ask you scott then we'll let you go um one thing i think is impressive about you know when brady was with belichick and and even both of those guys now is their ability to be able to turn the page on the next week or turn Mm -hmm. the page on the next season is that something that's actively talked about in that building? Like from a, from a front office standpoint, do you have to turn the page as well? Like it's Absolutely. not last season, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. But but that was you know, but that goes back to Parcells too. He was the uh-huh. same way, and and he wanted hey, don't chase windmills, right? You can. There's nothing you can do about that thing. Just <laughs> move on. 
Wow, you know, man, just, I love it. And it and it's, but I think that's what a lot of the great ones do. I, but and it, because they're not the only two, Parcells wasn't the only one. You know, some of the great corners in this league. Hey, that play, I stunk it up. Move on, next play. You know, um, I, I don't think that they are unique in that way. But it is certainly, and it was a part of, it was a big part of our culture. Because you know what, we blew draft picks too, right? We we blew contracts. There were things that we screwed up. And you're either going to sulk about it, complain about it, or make excuses. And none of those threes, three things, those threes, I sound like black people again. None of those threes is an option. <laughs> well, Scott, man, it was always beautiful having you on the show, man. Thank you for stopping by. Um, that'll do it for this week's episode of Total Access, The Locker Room. For more insight with The Locker Room point of view, check out the latest episodes every Wednesday and Friday on Apple and Spotify. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.